So what on earth are we here for? That's a question we've been asking of ourselves and we who've been preaching and teaching. And for those of you who've been gathered in small groups reading the book by that title, and week by week having phenomenal discussions as I have done with the group that I'm meeting with. And we come to the last of the five reasons for which God created us. It's to be made for a mission. God has a mission for you, and for me, and for anybody who knows and loves him. Now, the big deal about that is, for instance, you know the scripture that says that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that we should go do them. So once you become a new believer in Jesus, God already had that in mind ahead of time and had a plan for your life. And we've been looking at those five purposes. I won't reiterate them here this morning. But the last of them is that we were made for a mission. So when you became a believer, if you have, maybe one or two of you are still struggling on the edge of that. And I understand that, because I've been there and done that. But once you get to know Jesus, as it says in this passage we've just heard so well read, we become a new creation. The old things are past and everything's made new. It's like you're a new person. And God has a new plan for your life. And what could not happen, get this, this, what I'm about to describe could not happen. That when you become a believer, the Father in heaven looks at you, scratches his head, and says, what on earth are we going to do with this one? And he turns to Jesus at his right hand and says, you died for her. What's your plan? Any ideas? And Jesus says, beats me. So the two of them look to the Holy Spirit, who's the empower, and say to him, come on now. We don't have any idea what to do with this one. Look at her. What do you think? And the Holy Spirit says, beats me. That could never happen. Now often you act like it's like that. What's God going to do with me? How can he use me? Believe it. Anybody who would give his life for you, dying as Jesus died, isn't going to do it so that you can squat your body down in a church and sort of be bland and unobservable, inconsequential, and just a blob. No way. Anybody who would die for you, give their lives as Jesus did for you, has got a plan for you. Now what we find out in this passage, take a look at it, will you please? In uh, your service sheets, you've got a gray piece of paper 
I'm looking for my grey piece of paper here. What happened to it? Well, whatever happened to it, I don't have it. Uh, see, I want to, by example, here it is. And you see the passage there. And I love the fact that Pastor Doug reiterated that second verse, that first verse, actually. So look at it with me, if you would. From now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. The, the worldly human point of view is the controlling factor of most of our lives. And what the Scripture is telling us right here is that when you become new in Christ, you no longer see things as you used to see them, as the rest of the crowd around you may see them. You see things, you see people differently. This past week, for instance... In fact, just a few days ago, my wife and I had gone down to Atlanta for a huge service at one of the massive churches there, the Church of the Apostles. In fact, you may hear Michael Yusuf on the radio from time to time here in Pittsburgh. He's on Word FM as well. He's the pastor there. It's a huge church, cathedral-like structure. And there were bishops from all over the world and across the USA who were there to consecrate a new Archbishop of North America. So there's a, there are folks from all over Africa, the Far East, the Middle East, all over the USA and Canada, all over from England, from all over, for this huge occasion, big deal. And Kathy and I were there, sitting in the pews. Three-hour service, because all the people from Africa and Asia, Malaysia, wherever, came and brought greetings from wherever. Huge. Clergy, all vested robe, looking good. Afterward, three hours after it began, Kathy and I are driving away, looking for a place to eat. It's 10 o'clock plus, by, maybe 10.30 by the time we're looking for a place to eat. And most of Atlanta was shut down in the city that we were looking at. And then we passed this big open sports bar Lots of young people in there and all the TV screens watching baseball and football and everything else. So we pull the car around, do an Ill illegal UE, and go park and go get something to eat. Well, the girl who came up to us and all the girls who were wait staff there were clearly dressed to be sex objects. So their breasts are pushed up, enough visible cleavage at the top, cut off at the midriff, so you've got a bare belly and back, and then these little short pants, and they're serving. One came up to us to see what we would like to eat and drink. Now they're clearly presenting themselves as sex objects. And they're viewed as such. And I didn't get neutered when they made me a minister. So I can see what the picture is. But I started talking to the Lord to see her as he sees her.
started praying for her. See her as someone for whom Jesus died. When we paid the check, Kathy said to her, God bless you. I don't know how many times she may have heard that that night. Maybe in a lifetime of working there. It wouldn't be a lifetime. She was just a young lady. How do you see people? To see them as God sees them. Not from a worldly point of view, but from his point of view. That's a whole new way of looking at the world and people around you. And when you're on mission for the Lord, you see people not as whether it's sex objects or objects to be admired for whatever reason or to be disdained or discarded for whatever reason. You see them as valuable, immensely so, in the sight of God, who himself so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus to die for people just like you and me. So it's one thing to ask you, how do you see yourself? Another question is, how do you see the world around you? See yourself as on mission, and the world around you as the mission field. There was a church I drove out of on one occasion... On the, as you drove in, it was the name of the church, as you see at Christ Church at the entrance here. On the way out, on the back side of the sign, it said, you're now entering the mission field. So that everybody who worshipped there on their way out realized that they were on mission. Now, as you look at the rest of this passage, that's exactly how it describes it. Verse 17, look with me. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. So verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And that is further described, verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to to himself in Christ, not counting their sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. So you've got the message and the mission. What Christ has done and that he shares this ministry with you to be, as it says here, a co-worker with him, a fellow laborer with him. What an honor to be on his mission. Jesus, as Jesus was praying the night before he was executed, And that's recorded in John chapter 17. He speaks to the Father in heaven about his mission. He said, Father, as you sent me, so I send them. And in effect, that comes down through the generations to us. So as you sent me, Father, to die for all these people, so I send them on mission with me to share that message. And that's the mission, the essential heart and soul of the mission that's ours, to share that good news with a broken, sick, and oftentimes very ugly world. What a privilege to be included in that, very self-consciously, by Jesus. 
not incidentally, not as a plan to get a job done, but the privilege of sharing in a mission that cost Jesus his life, and he includes us in that privilege. Look at how it's further described. Look at verse 20. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. Well, an ambassadorial position, to be an ambassador for the USA in any other part of the world is a huge privilege. You represent the country, the government, the values, the leadership of the country as an ambassador. You're not there in your own name and right. You're there on behalf of your nation, your country, and the honor of representing that country. And here the Scripture describes us as ambassadors. That's a privileged position. Do you count it a privilege? Or just a chore? To be on mission with Christ is a privilege. To be therefore called an ambassador, or as it says later on, fellow workers or co-workers, that's verse, chapter 6 and verse 1, as you see it listed there. Such a privilege to be working alongside the Lord, co-joined to Him in the mission. We often like to brag about the people we know if we know people of importance and that we were at their home or traveling with them or even maybe had a telephone conversation with them or had our picture taken with them. To be able to say that I am in harness, a fellow worker with Jesus, we've just been speaking about him being the center of the universe. When he becomes the center of our lives, we see ourselves differently. And the encouragement of this scripture is to see yourself differently and thereby act with a passion about that mission. Look at the words that describe passion here. Look at verse 20 again. We are therefore God's ambassadors, listen to this, as though God were making his appeal through us. God appealing to an audience out there through you. And look at the next phrase in the same verse. We implore you on Christ's behalf. To implore. You know the word, the passion that's there. This isn't just a casual conversation with an easygoing suggestion. Has anybody ever begged you, implored you to do anything? Please. Look at chapter 6 and verse 1. We've already looked at it, but look at what it says. As God's fellow workers, we urge you. That's where the word urgent comes from. There's an urgency. And therefore, with a passion, you urge people. And you can see in verse 2 there, right, the very last verse we read. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. So he urges people. 
Has anybody ever pled with you about anything? It's kind of pathetic when people really plead with you. Often it's in the case of a broken heart. Please come back to me. Please don't leave me. Please don't do that, Daddy. Please, Mommy. There is a sense of urgency that this day, this opportunity that confronts you, presents itself to you, may be the last chance you'll get. To reach such and such a person. So there is a passion, privilege and passion, both. I don't know whether you make excuses for yourself, I wrote down ten excuses that we tend to make because we tend to look at things the old way. Listen to these. Number one, they might think I'm too zealous, like a fanatic. Number two, this might not be the right time. Number three, I might not have all the answers if I get into this conversation. Number four, I might offend and turn them off forever. Number five, I'm waiting for the Lord to lead me. That sounds spiritual. Number six, I'm waiting for the Lord to open the door to the conversation. Number seven, I witness by my life, not my words. Number eight, someone else can do it better. I'm not gifted. Number nine, I'm afraid of rejection. That's close to the truth. Number 10, the Lord can win them without me. Meanwhile, from God's point of view, Jesus has died to rescue you and in doing so has a mission for you. And it's as that mission is fulfilled on our part that God is honored and we are blessed. We, the ones who come with the message, we not only do him justice for all that he's done for us, that is really honor him, really live our lives in a way that's pleasing to him, we also receive the blessing of someone or other coming to know the Lord. What do you think gives me, John Guest, who most of you know pretty well, some of you are just getting to know, what do you think gives me the most pleasure in life? Seeing someone or hearing of someone who has come to faith in Jesus. The blessings that come my way and my wife's way and my family's way, all on account of that. I wonder why there are ministers out there who just won't call for the question who won't just preach the truth as it's been proclaimed by Jesus himself and his immediate followers. They sort of dance around the subject. And it's staring everybody in the face, and you wonder, how can they preach that message and dance around the subject in such a way that the real message never gets communicated? People give up on the church for that. They say it's a waste of time. Why would I go and waste my time listening to that? What Jesus has done is powerful, and you and I, in league with him, not only have the truth, the message, 
but his influence through us as if Christ himself were making the, the offer through us. Let me tell you a, of a couple of instances. One is sort of rather remarkable and alarming in this respect, that I guess all of you know that what happened at Pearl Harbor was that the Japanese sent plane after plane after plane in and bombed American boats and their military installations in Hawaii. And that started a large slice of the Second World War. So most of you know about that. Well, there was this chap, Japanese man, who spoke on a U.S. base in Japan sometime after the Second World War. His name was Mitsuo Fushidi. And he said, standing up in an audience of, I would presume, a lot of American servicemen, I am the man who led the attack on Pearl Harbor. Listen to this. Fuchida's story goes back to Sunday, the 7th of December, 1941. On that day, Fuchida, Supreme Air Commander of the Pearl Harbor Air Attack Group, led the squadron of 360 planes headed for Pearl Harbor with one purpose, cripple American military power with a surprise attack. So at 7.49 that morning, Fuchida said, I gave the order to follow straight on. The results of that are still memorialized in Pearl Harbor. I've been there. And one of the ships that they sank is left sunk as a memorial to that attack. If you get the chance, you'll one day be in Hawaii and see it. So here is this man who is, was the supreme commander. But what happened was this. When he was on his way to Tokyo from his hometown of Nara, after that Second World War was all over and the USA had dropped the atom bomb and so now it's all over and peace terms have been agreed upon, this man who led that attack is riding on a train from Nara, which was the old capital of Japan, into Tokyo. And on the railway station, an American gives him a tract to read. And the title on the tract in Japanese was, I was a captive in Japan a prison captive. And his story was this. And this was the story that was in the tract. It told of a U.S. Army sergeant who was captured by the Japanese, spent 40 months, that's over three years, in a prisoner of war camp where he was tortured to near insanity. But while a prisoner, the soldier was given a Bible which he had read every day and later became a Christian and vowed to return to Japan as a missionary upon his release. 
You got that picture? Tortured mercilessly for over three years, begins to read the Bible, comes to a living relationship to Christ, and vows to go back to Japan to be a missionary. Guess who was standing on the platform handing out that tract? The man who wrote it. What a, how could that be? That the guy who led the attack on Pearl Harbor picks up a tract from the man who's giving it out, who was held captive for over three years and tortured mercilessly. There's a movie coming out, Unbroken. It's not about this man, but a very similar situation. And that's going to be a big-time movie. You can still get your hands on the book. It's available in our bookshop right here. Similar situation. How dramatic. That's how the Japanese man became a believer, and the two of those men went around Japan and North America, both telling their story. For the Japanese man, it started with just a tract that was put into his hand. That's a little printed folder of good news. Let me tell you a story much closer to home. I was speaking in Houston a couple of years ago, and a chap came up to me. He said, are you the John Guest who played in a rock band down at Virginia Beach in the early 70s? I said, I am. He said, well, let me tell you something. He said, my wife was down there. She was a kid at the beach. She resisted everything you and your wife, Kathy, had to say. But later in college, somebody came and knocked at her door as a freshman and gave her a little tract that said, Four Spiritual Laws. Said, could they speak for a moment? She let the girl into her room, and she knew that was a mistake. The girl sort of starts sharing her faith, and just to get her off her back, when the girl said, would you like to pray with me? She said, yeah, I'll pray with you. And she prayed with the girl who'd come into her room and asked Jesus into her life just to get the girl off her back. But when she left, she knew she was different. So the boyfriend comes around with whom she'd been having sex and smoking pot, and she said, here, read this. I'm not doing pot anymore or having sex with you anymore. Which aggravated the crud out of him. <laughs> but he took that away. I mean, if there's no kissing and no pot smoking, what's he going to do? He takes the track with him. And he asked Jesus into his life. The guy who comes up to me in Houston is that guy. <laughs> he became the minister and married the girl and she's the wife. Does that sound incredible to you? From screwing around together to preaching the gospel together. How does that happen? One bo 
fairly courageous girl, I would imagine, knocking on the door and giving this other girl a tract. And having the courage to say, can I pray with you about this? What was phenomenal was, I gave that woman, because I met her, my wife's telephone number, and she calls her up. And when she gets through to Kathy, my wife, she starts sobbing, not my wife, the girl starts, woman now, starts sobbing and crying. She can't get the words out of her mouth. She said, thank you for being so faithful. Well, my wife wasn't the one who led her to the Lord, but that was a stop along the way for her. And she knew my wife cared about her. And she knew that she was going out of her way to urge her, plead with her. Don't keep on living this way. Turn your life over to Jesus and begin again. Now here's the big deal right now. And here I smile with absolute joy. Somebody has purchased enough of these right here. This is, what on earth am I here for? But this is a little booklet. But it goes right to the heart of everything. If you've been reading it, discussing it, We've been preaching to it. What on earth am I here for? This is for you to be on mission to give this away. Now, I've already been warned that after the earlier services here, we're running out of these already. And I know we purchased over a thousand of them. This is good news. And if we run out of them here, and you all can't have one because we're giving one to everyone here, that's our plan, so that this week you will go and give this to someone else that you work with, who goes to school with you, lives next door to you, that you shop with, or whatever it is you do. Whatever health club, weight loss program, whatever your deal is. One each. Now, I've already made up my mind. We'll go get some more for next week for those of you who don't get one. Some of you are saying, oh, may I be the person who doesn't get one. <laughs> we'll have them next week. No excuses. The privilege of being there with this message for the Lord, but for the person that you care enough about to give it to. It's a huge opportunity so if we give 1,200, 1,400 of these out this weekend, that's how many people are going to read about Jesus this week because you give this out. We've actually had a sticker put on the back that says Christ Church at Grove Farm and how they can go online to, because it's got the www, etc. on the back. So while I'm talking, our ushers are going to come forward and start distributing them from the front to the back. So you guys, you got, where are those ushers? Come on, guys. Let's get this done. Every one of you that can get one of these, take it. Pray about the person. Even as I said what I said, did you think about the person you might give it to? Didn't that cross your mind? Start praying for that person. This is a, an amazing opportunity. Rick Warren, by the way, this book, What on Earth Am I Here For?, 
which was originally published as The Purpose Driven Life several years ago, has sold more non-fiction books, because that's a non-fiction book, than any other book in the history of printing. People know about Rick Warren. So this is an easy give. And while you're receiving this, let me tell you, there's a lady in our church, she may be, she's somewhere in about my age range. She's got this white hair. She's always nicely dressed and put together. I was chatting with her out in the cafe just, uh, what would that be, 45 minutes ago or so? She goes downtown Pittsburgh and gives out Billy Gra tracks with Billy Graham's name on, who's also a credible speaker and presence. And she gives them out all over Pittsburgh, down in the working district, the office district. She goes up and she says, do you want a ticket to heaven? <laughs> Nearly everybody says, yes, please, and takes one. And it describes how you can get to know Jesus. She came up to me there. She said, I heard you, because I, I mentioned this at the earlier service. She said, I hear you're talking about me in the chapel, in the church. I said, uh, yeah. She said, I'm actually thinking about going down there and preaching now. I said, how are you going to do that? She said, well, I've walked around town. I know where they stand at the bus stop. She said, they're kind of trapped there. This lady is not a fruitcake. I mean, you sometimes see odd people with signs. You know, the end of the world is coming. Repent and believe. And they look a little odd. This woman looks like she belongs as an owner of one of the office buildings. I'd like to be there when she starts preaching at that bus stop. I might just have enough guts to stand there and preach with her. There is a sense of urgency that now is the day, now is the time of salvation, and whenever it is that you are meeting with this person or whomever, for sure, it is a divine appointment. Regarded as such. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me, will you? Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for your loving us enough to pay that ultimate price on our behalf. So right now, Lord, as we turn our attention to you and speak to you face to face, we ask you, Lord, to set your hand on each of us that we might feel the personal anointing and commissioning by which we step out and hand on good news to someone else. And while we're speaking to you right now, Lord, that person who did come to mind, we pray for, that even as we give out this message, you, Lord, will draw them to read it and draw them to yourself. Thank you for all the good news that's going to go out into Pittsburgh, to 
our schools and offices and shops and sports centers this week. Help us to see people from your point of view. Love them with your kind of love. And join ourselves to that mission of love by which they receive you, Lord Jesus, and hear about you and decide to follow you. That's our prayer. Thank you, Lord.